0: Hello and welcome to the Appetence podcast. This is my monthly moment to expose the real and raw truth about birth through chatting with epic women about their birth experience, showing just how different birth can be. This month, I'm talking to Jess about her two beautiful births, but before we get into it, I just wanted to let you know what's going on with Appetence this month. So we've got an Appetence birth workshop on the 19th and a body balancing workshop on the 22nd. We also have our pregnancy and postnatal yoga and Pilates all week, every single week, which is just the best time. And you could book all that goodness over on the website at appertonsfamilies.com. Now, back to our birth story with Jess. Jess is actually a paramedic, and we met when she moved up to the coast from Sydney, and she moved up with her pediatric first aid course. So she teaches parents from when they're in pregnancy up until when their kids are older on how to look after their kids in the event of an emergency. When we were talking about all this Appitance goodness that I do with the body balancing and the optimal positioning and the pelvic floor, in reflection to her own birth, Jess was very surprised and intrigued because she actually hadn't heard about any of this throughout her pregnancy and birth experience. So you'll hear that bit of reflection throughout the podcast as well. I really hope you enjoy this epic episode with Jess talking about her two births. And if you do, please leave a five-star written review. I read all of them and it really helps us share the podcast to other mamas so that they can know how to live simply, birth simply, and parent simply. Alrighty. Thank you so much, Jess, for jumping on the Abitant's Family Podcast.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So we are here for your birth stories. Now you've got two boys and I do understand it's not a super fresh experience for you. Is that right? How old are they now?
1: Yeah. That's right. Uh, my boys are eight and six now. and And sort of leading up to this podcast, I was like, wow, eight years ago, like it feels like an eternity ago, Um, you know, it's certainly not all that fresh anymore. And I think a lot of the the finer details are probably lost in the vault somewhere, but I certainly um, do have some vivid highlights, I guess you can say about the whole experience.
0: That's a perfect (laughs) explanation. (laughs) I love that. Don't worry. I've had my mum on the podcast and she was like going off, 21 years plus um ago so she did her best but we'll just do our best
1: <laughs> yeah sure, sure so where did you want me to start with
0: my yeah, eight-year-old I guess, I guess. yeah with your eight-year-old and maybe where in life you were at that stage and how your pregnancy was and stuff like that
1: yeah so it actually took us quite a little while to conceive um with my first and we so it was nearly a year of trying and for anyone that is is trying to have a baby once once you've decided to go for a baby you need it to happen like yesterday you want to be pregnant yesterday so, so you know going through yeah, that every month of that disappointment and you know you think oh god it's never going to happen it's not going to happen and and we ended up going to have um it was about a year after trying the gp said well let's go start the investigations you know let's go have a look and see what what's going on and so they booked me into that first appointment um, where they stick dye up your tubes to have a look and make that your tubes were patent. Okay. Um, if they said To make to me, sure well, they were be-
0: patent, your fallopian tubes. I actually haven't heard of that, to be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is, I guess this was step one that they were going to send me down and make sure that there was no blockages or scar tissue or anything like that. It was interfering with that process. And they said to me... Um, we can book you in but you need to wait for um your your period you have to wait until you know a couple of days after your first your next period before we'll do the test to make sure that you're not pregnant i was like yeah yeah sure it's in the bag i'm never gonna get pregnant like um and then my period never came and i was pregnant what isn't that uh, weird it (laughs) it was bizarre it was almost like I had handed off the responsibility to the hospital or the doctors at that point. I was like, you know, it's on you now. And taking that stress and that pressure off myself, I don't know. I theorize about it a lot as to why that happened, but yeah, sure I enough. i definitely heard that with like IVF as well, when people are like, okay, cool, let's just
0: have sex when we want to have sex, no pressure. We're going to do IVF. So it's all chill now because it's going to
1: work with IVF. That's when they fall pregnant. Isn't it crazy? And, you know, my entire journey, I suppose, and people keep telling me to relax, relax. It'll happen when you're ready and all this. And, and to be totally honest, when people say that to a woman who's trying to fall pregnant, it makes you want to punch them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you just think, if I, if I could relax, I would relax. Like I yeah. stopped. Like far out. So, so true. I probably needed you know, to hear that, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Because <laughs> um, I'm like, just chill, let it happen. And yeah, you're right. It's probably the last thing they want to hear. Yeah.
1: And yeah, so, you know, so from that point onwards, I guess I was just, I was a super anxious pregnant lady. I have to say, I had, you know, so many scans throughout my entire pregnancy because I was, you know, had this constant doubt that it was actually happening. And I kept on thinking, um, oh, no. I'm going to this, I'm going to that. I was such a stressed pregnant woman. Like it wasn't a joyful experience for me. I just remember feeling constantly on edge and constantly trying to analyse my body and how sick I feel today. Does that mean that I'm not pregnant anymore? And, you know, it was just not a period for me. And then as, you know, as the pregnancy went on and they discovered that my placenta was anterior, I then had reduced fetal movements anyway because yes. of that.
0: So that would just fed you know,
1: into that. Get into it constantly. You're right. So, you know, it would just get to the point where they'd be like, well, yeah, because you should feel your baby so many times a day. I can't remember what the number was. Maybe they said 15, 15 different movements a day or whatever. And I would be then going into panic thinking, well, I'm not feeling the baby move that much. Like, yeah. maybe. So I was like... From a from a midwife's perspective, I was probably a nightmare patient because <laughs> I was I know, someone like you know have a listen and have a check and we you know always obviously,
0: like you coming in just in case
1: always yeah that's what they said to me they said, <laughs> said you know we'd rather you come in but and then of course um like you know when you look at the pregnancy in retrospect it was actually a very healthy normal pregnancy like there was no issues at all I carried to term um I went into labor um spontaneously which was a good awesome. thing um but you remember then when I abouts? uh I was 40 I think I was 40 plus 6 cool I think. um which feels like forever, by the way, when you're like that heavy. And i got really heavy. Like I hit over 100 kilos. I stopped weighing myself at 100 kilos. Wow. To put that in, I weigh 65 kilos now. So I – I was going to yeah. say, you're a small person now. Wow. That's astounding.
0: Yeah. Good, good on you. Yeah, yeah cool. I, I went, I'm curious to hear how big your baby
1: was. Yeah, well, he, um, he actually wasn't all that big. I think he was about three point eight kilos. So yeah. I mean, I think that's normal size. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I went into yeah I went into labour. I remember I was up on I was living in Sydney at the time. I was on King Street in an optometrist, and I started getting little surges, and I was like, "Oh, oh, this is happening!" And they um, continued really slowly for the next twelve hours, and then so I went into hospital. And the midwife was like, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's starting but it's slow. And the doctor came in and said, oh, you've got um, a posterior baby. Now, the second that he said that, all these horror stories flashed into my head about all my friends that had posterior babies in excruciating pain and this and that and this and that. And they said, well, um, because it's posterior, we recommend we're going to break your waters and induce you. So um, they did that. They broke my waters. And within, or well, I want to say minutes of breaking my waters, the, the pain down my legs was unbelievable. Like I felt like I went from zero to 100 immediately. Um, and I, was, I pretty much cried from that point on. For the next twenty-four hours, I was in labour. It just was a really long, drawn. Yeah, it was not. um, I just, I just sobbed continuously for forever. Um, So they ended up. Yeah, they ended up giving me an epidural um, early on because I said, "I'm not going to. I'm not doing this for you know." um, Yeah. I don't know if this is a thing. I, I found whenever I'd had throughout my pregnancy where they would do some sort of internal exam and they'd somehow disrupt my cervix, I would find my emotions after that really high. Like I'd feel, and I don't oh. know whether that's a thing in the maybe that I would. Yeah. I haven't necessarily
0: it's heard the- about it, but I'll look into it because it would make sense, like stimulating different hormones and all that. So, Mm, that's really interesting good yeah. observation
1: yeah i feel like any any exam that i had leading up to the labor where they would touch my cervix i would cry for hours afterwards like just be really and then yeah and so the entire labor was like that and i wondered whether it was because they had messed with my cervix to get it yes. whether it had tricked. so i don't know so it was pretty much from that point i had the epi- and i was on my back crying for um I think the whole the whole leg was from the time they broke the waters till the time he was born was about 20 hours so not certainly not one of these empowering wonderful magical birth stories I I pushed for two hours it was awful I vomited constantly for the last three hours because of the morphine and the epidural it was just Really, um, I feel like it was the trigger for postnatal depression for me after that. Yeah. Maybe I be predisposed anyway, um, but it's certainly, like I remember coming out of the hospital and feeling totally let down by my body. I just felt like I had uh... gone that I was this strong, powerful, I'm going to just breathe this baby out, I've got this, my sister's done it, I can do this, it's all going to be okay. And to be just <sighs> what felt like a helpless vomiting mess on my back <sighs> for 20 hours just, it empowered me. Like, and I just felt like, yeah, I still remember it actually. I still remember feeling very uh, like, like I'd failed in a way, even though that's crazy because... I birthed a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Who's, um, you know, there, there was nothing wrong in terms of him. He was perfect, but I just felt really, yeah, really disappointed. So that's terrible, you know, and
0: that can definitely be a trigger for that postnatal depression. That feeling of yeah about your body, feeling like it failed you when it didn't, and. Uh, oh, it's an awful, awful spiral after that mixed with no sleep, mixed with no mm-hmm. like proper debrief. Like you may have had debrief, but lots of women don't. And yeah, like, did you feel like you debriefed
1: that ever,
0: that experience?
1: I feel like I talked because I had been part of the group um, free group practice at RPA in Sydney and my actual midwife that I'd been with for the entire pregnancy wasn't there at the end. Mm. She, um, she, yeah, I don't know where she was. So, I had other women who I didn't know and had no relationship with there for the birth. And I remember, like, when I was pushing and getting really upset, and her sort of trying to bring me back in my mind, I felt like I then had to apologize for being that upset during the pushing phase. And I kept on apologizing, saying, I'm sorry if I was hard to manage and I'm sorry if I'm this and you know it just there was some debrief but it didn't it was like debriefing with strangers who I hadn't yeah. had of a relationship with throughout the pregnancy to yeah really yeah yeah so, so yeah that that was really interesting mm-hmm. times I'm but, sorry you went yeah, through that yeah Well, oh, you know can you hang on baby shush sure, yeah there's my 8-year-old. Tr- <laughs> <laughs> his that. ears are burning. His <laughs> ears <laughs> are burning. On his own phone, 8-year-old for joys. But, um, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Of course, and then I, after the birth of my son, I then had enormous trouble breastfeeding, which I had vocalised to my midwife prior to the birth. I had said, you know, my sister had chronic mastitis and her nipple was nearly falling off and I'm really stressed about this. And all those concerns kept on getting dismissed, going, no, no, it's fine. You'll be fine. You'll be able to breastfeed fine. And of course I couldn't breastfeed fine. It was three months of hell. I had mastitis four times in the first two months and I was depressed. i don't yeah I, I it really wasn't a magical time for me at all that first six weeks and i it's a shame because i look at mums now with their new babies and they if things are going well for them they you know i think oh it really is a beautiful time but for me it was it was a, a lot of cloud um and stress but you know um i suppose this is the benefit of age and hindsight is that you get to look back on these things and and know how you would respond to them differently the second time around or the third time round, but certainly the first time for me when i when i was in the thick of it it felt like the thick of it <laughs> yeah but then you know it's not all doom and gloom come around three months when all of a sudden i don't know if it's because his little mouth got bigger and you know feeding became really easy it all it just having beautiful you know Amazing. but it was certainly it was certainly journey yeah oh wow and good on you for sticking it out for that
0: three months because that does happen like where it all yeah. of a sudden just clicks and it works and yeah. it works fine and um unfortunately a lot of women don't get to that clicking point because they might may stop breastfeeding sooner uh, which yeah. we can all understand why and that it's like you know incredibly difficult but good on you for sticking through that's awesome awesome awesome
1: yeah yeah so yeah so that was that was first one, and then second second one, Shy was um not planned, he you know me and the boy's dad were not together anymore, I think we only had sex one time in like eight months. it was like you know really like not planned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And like after such trouble the first time, and then this time you have sex once and it works. <laughs>
1: uh, Believable. I was like, because the doctors had said to me after my first pregnancy, you know, you did have a bit of trouble, and like when they do the scans initially when you first fall pregnant, um, you know more about this than I do. But they were saying, oh, it looks like you've actually got polycystic ovaries. So it's surprising you even actually fell pregnant. So next time you go to fall pregnant, you'll have to probably take medication. And I was like, sweet. No worries. So to fall pregnant with my second like that was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, And that was very much different pregnancy. I had a lot, I think I had untreated anti, uh, sorry, antenatal depression from my first. So my second pregnancy was a mess. I was an anxious, strung out mess. I was so scared about how on earth I was going to possibly cope with a, a two-year-old and a new baby. And we were living in this place that had a sociopathic neighbor that was always screaming through the walls. And I was just like, I was a psycho. Like I was so anxious. And I got to the point, I ended up stopping work at about the seven month mark because I was just not coping. And um, I ended up in a psychiatrist's office a week before um, I had shy. And she sort of took one look at me and was like, Oh, honey, you should have been medicated from day one. You know, Aww. you should have. Been like, this, is, this is, you are so at risk now at the, the stage that you're at. Because I was just, I'd never been more anxious in my life. It was a constant. Wow yeah it was really awful, and I think that we yeah, still living it, it with was... the boy's dad at the time, or yeah together yeah. Yeah, still together um we yeah, we just we were in this really horrible house in Sydney, where this number would every time he heard son cry, would blast music and scream through the walls and call me in f and c and all these different words and oh my gosh. and being pregnant and having that next door i was just not plus i was already i think predisposed to be anxious during the pregnancy anyway given that i'd had um probably undiagnosed postnatal depression with my first i sort of yeah it was it was not a pleasant experience so before so one week um before I had Shire, yeah, they put me on medication and I ended up going into hospital and having a Cesar with Shire because he was breech. And ah. At that time in my life, it seemed that all breech babies had to be C-section. I just did what I was told, basically. Um, but I don't know whether it was because I was on medication from that point or not or what it was, but my second experience was totally different it was so much mm. more peaceful and I was able to enjoy those moments of having a newborn and, and just feeling so much more calm and, and knowing that even though initially breastfeeding wasn't as bad I still had some issues but I think the second time round you know that all those problems that you have that there's light at the end of the tunnel and everything is yes. changing and you're able to manage those um, fears a little bit better because you know that it's not permanent you know that whatever this is is just gonna keep moving on but as a first time mom sometimes it can be hard to see light at the end of that um but yeah yeah, it was certainly much much different Me, but in terms of the actual birth I mean I take my hat off to women who have to have seizures with multiple children because I don't actually think it's an easier process for women to go through. It's, it's not, um, I know obviously some women have to have C-sections, but it certainly doesn't make it an easier way to deliver a baby mm-hmm. because there's other things, you know, like the, the, the healing from a C-section um, is not obviously a walk in the park either. I think if I could choose which way to do it, I would choose a V-back birth. Um, even yeah. though mine wasn't amazing, I still think I still think it's definitely the way to do it. Um, agreed. I found agreed. having a C-section. Yeah, yeah. I found a C-section birth to be very clinical and very sort of sterile. And I think also because I was so heightened and anxious and not, you know, I, I skipped a very important process for me. Like all of a sudden I was on a table and they just pulled a baby out and stuck it on my chest and I felt like I didn't get that time to transition into being a mother of two. All of a sudden I was just a mother of two like that. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that if you, you know, knowing what I know now and I've said this to a couple of midwives since moving up to the Sunshine Coast and meeting a lot of you and learning about, I know so much more about childbirth now than I did when I actually had my own. And had I known what I know now, I think, yeah, I'd be... Happy birthing at home with a private
0: midwife. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and like with your first, just something to note there that I thought was really interesting is like when you have a posterior baby, right? they like 90% of them during labor will turn anterior and come out anterior. But so, what's such a pivotal part of them being able to rotate is having that beautiful, cushion of water around their heads to rotate in the pelvis so like the fact that that happened and like to be honest it does still happen sometimes it's like why like it's it's so basic it's so obvious that they we need them to turn and the waters is going to help them like what is breaking going to do to birth a posterior baby like it's crazy isn't it
1: it is crazy. It is crazy. And I feel like, yeah, exactly like what you just said. I'm surrounded by, I was in a public hospital, which was dominated by what the obstetrician at the time wanted to do, not not what the midwives thought or wanted to do. Um, yeah. And I don't think it was, yeah, there was, you know, I've always loved watching your, you know, like your videos and what you're talking about about, posturing and 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 how you can move your body to to create space there was no talk about any of that with me it's basically get on your back let's break your waters now walk up to the birthing suite that was it for the movement for me once i got to the birthing suite i was on my back of course the baby's not going to turn because i'm on my back not moving (laughs) yes
0: yes and that sacrum
1: is just like pushed
0: into your pelvis it's not able to lift out and create that extra two centimeters of space like
1: Uh, it's just it's wild isn't it to think about it's crazy it's crazy and I you know I like hindsight is a lovely wonderful tool isn't it but I think Yeah. yeah if I had again it would be at home with a midwife and yeah um yeah I know yeah so it's really it's really interesting I one of the things I try and you know, I obviously work very much in a medical dominated field Field still as a paramedic and a, a lot of paramedics would say, you know, no, birthing at home is the wrong thing to do because of the risks and this and that. But I think provided that you have the right care and education and qualifications like a midwife, it's it's, you know getting out of the hospital is the way to
0: do it. (gasps) Absolutely. Well, they say that for low risk women who have no complications, um, they are safer birthing at home. And the high risk women, 100% safer birthing in a hospital. And like anything, like, you know, bad things can happen to low risk women at home. And, you know, women who are at high risk in a hospital may have had a beautiful Normal birth if they were at home, however, being in the hospital, they didn't. So, that, there's always going to be that little bit of margin, but that's the stats show that low risk women are better off birthing at home with a midwife.
1: Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And even with the, um, you know, with Shire being breached, there had not really been any discussion with me throughout the pregnancy about things to try and encourage um, turning or. You know, it, or, or even birthing in general, it was just straight away, um, Caesar. Um, so you know, I'm still not sure 100% which way I would have gone with that had I been presented with more options, but I certainly do feel like I, I don't know, I feel like having a Caesar did take away an important mental process for me, part of that journey yeah. into. Being the mother and, and 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 going through this together as mother and baby that that gets taken away all of a sudden. Yeah. There's a lot of people in your birth that aren't part of your journey. So yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly two very different experiences. I have to say with my with my births. Yeah,
0: yeah, and they yeah. do say that that birthing process of labour. And the hormones that you feel, not only like the hormones that create the contractions, but as the baby's descending, as the ligaments are moving, and then especially as you're crowning and your perineum is being ultra-stretched, the hormones that are then stimulated them, it's all those, you know, um, what do they call it, that hormonal cocktail that happens in your body and in your brain that helps transition you into that motherhood. And yeah, like as you say with the Caesar, you get none of those hormonal cocktails so it's a bit more of a shock
1: yeah yeah and they put this little person on you that you know you love because they're yours but it feels more like a stranger like it yes. feels like oh, oh like, yeah. yeah it's
0: more of like a logical pro- like approach rather than like a full body knowing isn't it
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: interesting. that knowing. interesting yeah, so- interesting
1: Yeah, I'm certainly not going to be rushing in for any more babies anymore at any time. Though I think my partner, I'm with a new partner now, and he every now and then will hint about wanting a girl, and I'm like, oh no! (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: Although this experience would be so different with all your wisdom, and now you're here, and you know so much more.
1: Yeah, can only imagine. <laughs> no, well, I don't. Don't think tell so. anybody I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so.
0: so, your did you have any through your antenatal period? Did you do anything to prepare for your birth, like um anything physical or any um courses? So,
1: with my first. I had naively downloaded some hypnobirthing audio that I listened to and I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to breathe my baby out. And, again, in respect, realised that listening to that four or five times is not enough work. You need to actually put some work into your birth and your labour and just turning up on the day, not knowing what's going to happen is not the way to get through. Like... Um, so I should have, and, you know, again, living up here, there are so many wonderful courses and services that you can actually do now. Whereas in Sydney, I was very much in the medical domain that you just turn up, have your baby and the doctors in the hospital sort it out for you. So, um, no, I did not do any more than that. Just listen to a few audios, which is disappointing. Yeah. No, Um,
0: such a fair call though, unless you're exposed to it. You you only know what you know.
1: Yeah, well it wasn't really like I had seen a couple of um ads here and there for, you know doing birthing, but not none of my friends had done it. No one I knew, no one in my mother's group um of friends I knew had really done it. I met one lady that had come up from Melbourne who told me about her beautiful, calm, quiet birth. Um, But other than that, no one else really talked about it or knew about it. So, yeah, yeah, I had, yeah. The the birthing class that you go to at the hospital, I actually went to on my own because the boy's dad was working or something, which was embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, that's always the worst, isn't it? Yeah, but it was really... um, I didn't really feel like I got much out of it. It just talked about it was very sort of high level about the birthing process, the stages, and pushing. But it was you know one hour. Like you're not going to learn how your body's going to react in these things. And yeah, I think again, hindsight is wonderful. But I, if I was doing it again, you you should do much more time spent on yourself and analyzing your power. I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but trying to work on your self-confidence I think is really important. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I I so agree with that actually. Like you have to be
0: so strong minded
1: to birth a baby. You do. And to back yourself and know that, you know, that like, I think having, you know, again, like I've had eight years to look over this and I'm certainly mentally healthier now i don't suffer from postnatal anxiety or depression anymore but at the time when you're when you've we've when you've disrupted the way you think and feel about yourself and then you go into something as big as birthing a baby and you start doubting yourself that doubt can can make or break the the experience i think and, and how well you actually respond to it so having yeah having I don't know if I was doing it again, like looking at emotions that come up and acknowledging them for what they are and where they come from and putting them away where they belong instead of letting them become, you know, the the loudest voice in your labour is really important because so mine with my first I was fearful and I was just felt weak and not good enough to be doing this. So they're all emotions that aren't helpful <laughs> or true yes. but they do become loud so that that's the kind of work I would be doing if I was uh, pregnant again going into birth I would be doing a lot of more more work on myself rather than learning about what the hospital is going to do like and how much it'll hurt when you chair. you know these aren't these aren't helpful things to learn about I don't think yeah.
0: Ah, that is so interesting. I love that you made that point. I haven't heard someone make that point so, I guess, clearly before. But that is so true. Like gaining control of your mind, so you can yeah. control your thoughts, essentially. And obviously, um, you know, none of us are bloody Gandhi or something. We're not going to have full control. But <laughs> if you can have somewhat of control over your thoughts and your emotions, and be able to process them in a like essentially a logical matter is really, really necessary. That's a really interesting point.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, there's nothing like, there's nothing quite like it on the planet. Is there really being going through that process, like having, yeah. having a baby, it, it, certainly, it certainly shows a side of you that you probably don't even know exists. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Absolutely. So then, your postnatal experience after your second bub was fairly low key. Would you say you had any postnatal yeah. depression or anxiety?
1: Or oh no, because I was medicated, so that, that yeah. helped us. I stayed on antidepressants for two years after he was born. Good. Um, I remember thinking, you know, at that six-week mark when they started to work, I remember thinking, wow, if this is what other mothers experience or other people feel like, then I have really missed out on the last two years of my first because I, there was a sense of calmness. And, and I remember the sleep being, you know, my second was not a great sleeper, but the difference being was that I could fall back to sleep in between his feeds now. So even though I was awake three or four times a night, I was getting sleep in between. So I was managing really well, whereas with my first, he would wake up at 11 and then I would feed him, but then I would stay, I wouldn't be able to fall back to sleep and I'd wake feed him and get at 2 and then again get at 4 and all of a sudden I'd been up from 11 till 5, fall asleep for an hour. And so having that calmness and that ability to sleep with my second, even though it was very broken, just made it, everything was easier. I just got to... Um, yeah, just sit with him and be calm and fine. It was a, it was a really different experience, and that I, like the medication definitely part of it, but also the experience of being a mother for the second time and knowing what's coming is also it's just easier. You know, yeah. you know what to experience. you know that those dark nights, weeks, months that are shit will be gone before you know it. they they literally end within a second whereas the first time it's very hard to know that because you just think what's going on my life is so different now and it's going to be like this forever but it's actually you know the second time I just found it so much easier to be you know to to ride the wave I guess like yeah it's just a lot easier
0: (laughs) So good. Yeah. So, so good. I'm surprised. So they, with your breach of your second, they never, um, like, suggested doing an ECV, so turning barbs inside of you?
1: That was mentioned um, only once, but they said that it came with quite high complications. At the time, and, and again, this is these are all things that I now don't necessarily matter all that much but they said the cord was around his neck so as soon as they said that to me I was like oh, oh no you know whereas now I'm being told that actually a lot of the babies have with the corner around their neck and it's not all that problematic so I don't know why that was told to me like it was you know your baby is at risk of dying because the cord is around the neck sort of thing um yeah. so it was certainly mentioned but not you know, not explained or pushed in any detail. The answer mm. was a C section and that Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, hectic. Yeah. People
0: just work in different ways and like, you know, eight years ago isn't that long ago or six years ago. But um yeah. it does make a big difference. Like as you would know, being a paramedic, the health world just changes constantly. So what we were doing six years ago we now know to not necessarily be true.
1: Yeah, 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 and you know, I think for for mums and or for pregnant women, you really it just makes it even more important to have a relationship with a midwife that's yours. You know that you're not just going through and having different opinions from different people, and because it just it becomes overwhelming, and you end up just sort of succumbing to trust. You just hand it over your responsibility, basically. Um, which, you know, it's, it's fine to do if that's what you want to do, but it also leaves you a bit, you're just at the mercy then um, of whatever practice is happening in that hospital, I suppose, at the time. And that also leads um, that to could that be feeling
0: of, of, like, powerlessness.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, um, yeah, I think I think there's so much... I would do differently this, you know, next time around. It's not going to happen. <laughs> not but if I did, it would be, yeah, it would be very, very different. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. that brings me to our little precipitous birth round, which is a precipitous birth is a quick birth. So it's quick questions. The first thing that pops to your mind, what is your biggest tip to birth
1: simply? Oh gosh, um, education. <laughs> education, beautiful. That's, yeah, yeah. The more, so the important. more of it. The, and don't ever stop learning until the second that the baby comes out. Ask questions, and then ask some more questions. Um, that's yeah,
0: yeah. Awesome,
1: <laughs> awesome. And what's your biggest tip
0: to parents? Simply, Oh,
1: be present. I think. Be yeah. You know, be as present as possible, and look at what what is happening in front of you, not what happened yesterday, and not what's going to happen tomorrow. Because it just all you know. Parenting is really hard. <laughs> there is no way around it, and it can be overwhelming and completely swallow you up if you let it. So just look at what's happening right now, and then everything else.
0: Will happen. I love that, and you can't control it right now. So just be present, do what you can in the moment, and then figure the rest out later.
1: Right, control what you can, and the rest will just whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Ah, good on you. I am really glad I got to finally hear your birth stories. I feel like we've been talking about it back and forth for what years now, almost. (laughs) And um, it's been nice to finally hear what went down.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm sorry that has taken so long to coordinate. But, yeah, I really appreciate you giving me to come on and have a chat about it. It's actually been quite nice. Absolutely,
0: (laughs) absolutely. And for those of you who are interested out there, do you want to give a little spiel into your um, courses that you do?
1: Oh, yeah. Are you sure? Um, Yeah, so we teach baby first aid or um, paediatric first aid, so we focus on teaching parents, who are have children zero to the age of 12 years about life-saving skills and, and talk about some of the more common emergencies. So we try um, and really focus on education because the more you can have as a parent, the easier things are. When you're not caught off guard by things, then you know, life is easier <laughs> and less daunting. So we teach um, every couple of months at Maroochydore at uh Coast Life Media Free, there we teach a three hour workshop for new mums and dads. So you can check us out at um, on our what is it? Our website is rescueblue.com.au or Instagram is rescueblue and it's called Little Blade. So
0: awesome awesome and we'll put those little links in the notes um and would you recommend that for pregnant ladies or for after birth
1: oh look if you can do it before your baby comes absolutely do it before your baby comes because all the things i've just talked about those first six weeks or even parenting in general you start getting inundated with all this information and all this knowledge that you need to know and first aid for your babies gets always put on the side burner um, because you think it's, yeah, I need to know that, but also I need to know about breastfeeding and sleeping and all the rest of it. So the earlier you can learn that, the better, that it's in the boat and you're ready to go from day one. So certainly doing it with pregnant is best, but it's also never too late. So if you miss that window of opportunity and you've got a seven-month-old and you're about to start solids, by all means, now is the time to get in there and learn this. Yep. So
0: true, so true. Okay, I am so glad to hear that. Because sometimes I'm unsure whether, you know, they should do it in pregnancy or not. Because yeah, it can be feel some of the some uh somewhat the same. They've got lots and lots to learn. But really, in reality, once you're a parent, it just like tenfold takes what you gotta learn in pregnancy. Unfortunately, it's all a little bit hectic and a massive, <laughs> massive learning curve, isn't it? Yeah, that's
1: right, that's right. And then once you've done it, you know, you can refresh every year or two or every time you have a new baby but at least that baseline information is in there yeah. the most important thing you want to know about is your baby cpr you must know this um, mm-hmm. and choking really we want to have, we want people to have those skills in there before your baby comes
0: yes so true so true oh uh, awesome well thank you so much for popping on the podcast yes
1: much for having me and
0: we will definitely um chat soon <laughs> absolutely i look forward to it and that's a wrap to our birth story with jess i really hope you enjoyed i feel like there were so many takeaways that i'm finding it hard to nut out just one but the one that i think i will choose which is a really 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 important one and again i feel like my takeaways relate to More than just childbirth and pregnancy. I feel like I can almost always take my takeaways into my present day life um, with me. But obviously, that's because I'm seeing it from my perspective. But what you don't know, you don't know. And you don't know what you don't know. I know that sounds like I just repeated myself. However, I feel like they mean two very different things. Where, say if you experience something or you told you have something or, or your baby's in a certain position or whatever it is. Don't just take that as gospel and accept it for what it is necessarily straight away. I think you should always do your own research to figure out if there is anything you can do about it, because there may very well be things that you could do about it that you just don't know, and the doctor just doesn't know, and you know whoever you talk to about it saying, oh yeah, apparently my baby's breech or whatever, they don't know. And that happens for so many, so many things. And I feel like if you can just research and yes, there may not be anything for it. And it may be something that you beautifully have to accept and that's fine. However, there may be a million and one things you can do for it that if you didn't research it, you would have no idea and you would have just accepted something that you didn't want because you felt like there was no other choice. Um, So I just thought that was really interesting. And I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. If you have any questions about it, definitely hit me up and let me know because I often feel like I might hear about something from a friend or a podcast, and it's very much in my scene of things that I'm interested in, and I had never, ever heard of it before. And I've often even thought, I cannot believe that I haven't heard of this concept before or this you know, drink or elixir or whatever it is before, even though it's very much in the space that I'm involved in. And if it just doesn't cross paths with you or for whatever reason you're not alert and attentive when it does, these things just pass through and you have no idea and they could be the very answer to that question or that need in your life in that present moment. So anyways, I got a little bit dope. I hope to see you all soon at our pregnancy and postnatal goodness. I am so excited for this year. 2022 is going to be such a huge year for me. I've got so many cool plans and I'm really excited for you guys to be a part of it. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow and leave a five-star written review. Bye.